slum, 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 gullion, slum, gullion, we've got season two of the slum, gullion, Japan's got still hosts the slum, gullion, I still don't know what that word means, slum, do, 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 slum, gullion, we still got some guests on the slum, gullion, we're not showing breasts on the slum, gullion, should probably fade Hello and welcome to another edition of the Newlywed Game. I am Chuck Woolery and three time zones away is Bachelorette number one. How are you, Scott? Well, you're not supposed to say my name. <laughs> Give me a number. All Be right. Anonymous. All right. This is Slumgullion co-host number two. How are you? I feel like you've blown it already, but all right. I'm, <laughs> I think I'm they right. knew who you were. Uh, well, there are a few people in the world who do, and if it's not these people, then <laughs> I'm in more trouble than I thought I was. I'm, uh, you know, I, aside from uh, a, uh, a cough and, and uh, you know, just the, the, the complaints to which all uh, mortal flesh is heir to, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, about the same. Uh, uh, about the same. Um, we have a fun show for you today in part two, the new movie crew, and that is everybody will be gathered together to spoil the shit out of Spider-Man Homecoming. But first, oh my, there has been some news in the last couple of days. Yeah, last 24 hours. Uh, last 24 hours. Shall we start with the good or go to the crap? Oh, let's start with the crap. I don't want to build to it. Understood. All right. Well, and for those of you who don't know, and I can't believe any of you who don't know who listen to the show, um, yesterday saw two major deaths. Um, I cannot believe that, that. That just absolutely blew my mind. For those of you who do not know, both George Romero and Martin Landau passed yesterday. Yeah. And apparently so did a, uh, a well-known British actor as well. Oh, which one? I don't know what his name is, but he played a very famous character on a well a well loved uh, supporting character on an episode of Doctor Who called I believe it was the Talons of Wang Chiang. Okay, that's that's not um, that's that's not an obituary, Jeff. That what you just said was a Jeopardy question. Point taken. I don't remember his name. I just remember. I know that's but the one But we honor his played. service? I do. I, I do. Compare with everybody else, like three in one day, I think, or three within two days. I mean, that is just freaking ridiculous. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter at The Slum Going, but pretty much all I said was no, just no, damn. And that was before I even knew about Martin Landau. Um, George Romero messed with me. George Romero's death severely, severely messed with I'm, me. I'm sorry. Do you want to point out, point out on the zombie where he messed with you? Uh, ha, 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 ha. Um, I met Mr. Romero. Really? Where? When? This was, oh, God, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I was at a convention, and... Um, I honestly, I was, it, this was... This was back in an area where you could actually still smoke in certain places. And um, I was in the, like, smoking area of, of the hotel, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice behind me say, hey, do you have a cigarette? And I turn around, it's freaking George Romero. George Romero bummed a smoke off you? But George Romero bummed a smoke off of me. 
That should be the title of your autobiography. <laughs> well, I've had two. I also had um, this is tr also a true story. I have had uh, John Waters, director John Waters, bummed a smoke off of me as well. Which is some about you. You just look like a guy who's loose with his smokes. Apparently so. And the and what's funny is almost the exact same thing that happened with uh, John Waters happened with George Romero. He just sat, and it was just him and me. It was just him and me out in the smoking area, and it was for like five. So the entire length of the cigarette, I got to sit there and have a slightly private chat with George Romero. Uh, and so I got to tell him. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I was the the the. Uh, you know, the price of it is cancer, but the benefit of it is getting was, to meet idols. Exactly. You know, I mean, five, you know, five minutes alone with George Romero. It was amazing. More people came over, which I knew was going to happen. And he did actually sign a couple of cigarettes before his handlers came and got him and ushered him away. He signed a couple of cigarettes? Uh, no, autographs. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that would be hard for, for someone who's addicted to nicotine to maintain in their memorabilia collection because there's going to come that one day <laughs> where you really need But I got to tell him, I, I, I'm, so, I'm very happy that I got to tell him um, that, I, that I personally thought that Day of the Dead, even though it wasn't the film that he originally wanted to make, is my favorite of the trilogy, and I got to tell him why. And he, he, was, he, was, he was genuine, he was sweet, he was a wonderful human being, and he laughed hysterically when I had him sign my copy of the, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a book that was released where a lot of famous horror writers wrote short stories that took place in the universe of the Dead Trilogy. Oh, really? I believe, <laughs> excuse me, you were talking about cough, now I'm getting one. I believe it was called Book of the Dead, but I could be wrong. I, 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 my book's hidden somewhere, and the reason that it's hidden somewhere is I have a collector's edition because the original printing of the book says, inspired by the films of George A. Romero. Okay. His middle initial is R. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so there, there was only a certain number. Like, I got the book, I believe it was the day it came out. Maybe it was more of a, maybe it was like a, a really old book that can meet from the medieval era where everyone, you know, had, had their names were part of their titles, like, you know, Dennis the Thatcher. George A. Romero. George a Romero. Not even the Romero. Just it's like one just of one them. of the... One of many Romeros in the village, but uh, I had I had the book with me, and after I knew after I met him, I, I like rushed him when I knew, when I knew he was going to be doing a signing. I'm like, would you sign this? And he saw the book and he just laughed. Hmm. But did, did did he sign it? Did he sign George George R? Did he? Oh um... no, he signed George A. Yeah. So I have a book signed by him with the wrong signature on it. That's uh, that's that's worthless yet priceless. That is in a box. That is in a box that I won't even. I don't even bring the stuff out for people. It's my own little treasures. You know, they're not even going to go sold or on eBay. It's just stuff that I can say I have. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not. I'm not a Romero. Uh, I don't want to say aficionado. I respect what he did. Uh, I'm not since I'm not a huge zombie fan. Right. Um, I I don't revisit his his film, so I I wouldn't consider myself in any way an expert. Um, I I do have. Uh, as a uh, one of our listeners, um, and uh, one of the readers at uh, World of Crap, who goes by the the Nick uh, Doc Logan, uh, is a um, uh, is a is a huge fan, and I wish we'd had time to get him on because I would have loved to have uh, heard his thoughts. But I uh, there's a writer I know named Philip uh, Dice Nugent. I hope I'm pronouncing the middle 
uh, name or the the first part of the hyphenated name properly. Probably not. Anyway, um, he wrote something that I that kind of uh, encapsulated for me what what I thought was Romero's signature contribution. I mean, aside from the fact that you know Night of the Living Dead is just just an amazing you know paradigm shifting film. Um, it, where we are now in popular culture is, enti- you know, there's, you can draw a straight line to what he did with that movie. So I'm just going to read. I, I, I asked his permission to read a, a brief thing he wrote on uh, on Facebook, if that's okay. Go right ahead. One? No, absolutely. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Again, Philip Dice Nugent said, before 1968, zombies were the sad sack losers of classic movie monsters. They were shambling, colorless ghouls with no personality or agenda beyond serving a voodoo priest played by Bela Lugosi. Whenever you see a zombie or a walker or whatever you call them, the ravenously hungry, rotting humanoid creatures lurching across the screen, intent on eating whoever or whatever they think they can get their hands on, a killing machine that can only be stopped by blowing its brains out as gorily as possible, George Romero invented that. None of it was on anybody's drawing board before Night of the Living Dead. Yep. That wasn't his only accomplishment. Martin, for instance, oh. great self-aware vampire films. That one, that one messed with me. Oh, you've seen Martin? I saw Martin. I um, yeah, Martin. Martin's actually out of his non-zombie films. I think it's either Martin or Night Riders is my favorite. Yeah, it was just it was disturbing in a way I was not expecting. He finishes by saying, Sorry. but lots of people who love the horror genre and manage to contribute a number of memorable works to it can only shake their heads and bow low before someone who actually created a new monster that almost 50 years later feels as if it has always been around. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. That's the point to me. It's like you 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 look at those zombies from the first zombie movie I ever saw was Night of the Living Dead. I thought that's what they were. OK. And, and then I went back and saw. Uh, you know, white zombie. I walk with a zombie. zombie yeah. Saw saw the early zombies. You know, zombies on Broadway. Zombies of Moratow. Zombies in the stratosphere. Um, and zombies on Broadway. I remember that movie. Yes. And uh, yeah, it was it was always a it was always a voodoo thing. It was the ha- you know, most of the time it took place in in Haiti or some unnamed Caribbean island, and uh, to find out that that, that that's not that they. The way they work now in, say, The Walking Dead and World War Z and everything, is not the way they always worked is just astonishing to me. He really did. He he he's he uh, he souped up an entire class of monster. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did. I, and, and like how many thousands of 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 cheap ass movies how many directors owe their first film into the genre because of george romero i mean it's it's, yeah it's 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 astounding but i remember um in addition to meeting him um i'd seen dawn of the dead you know on on uh, on home video before day had come out but day of the dead actually played briefly in my in here in ohio Mm-hmm. And it was unrated, and um, oh really? Oh yeah, no. The, the film it did it did actually get released unrated. Um, I was surprised it played here, <laughs> right? But it did actually play here for about a week, maybe two weeks. And I remember seeing it, and as much as I love Dawn of the Dead for the brash, you know, humor, the the socio, the, the social commentary, and everything. 
Day of the Dead was the only one of the three films that genuinely disturbed me. Day Why of the Dead because I felt like there was absolutely no hope in that film whatsoever. You know, unlike mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, which was funny, and even at the end with the two escaping, it still felt like, okay, they can kind of survive. Even though at the end of the Day of the Dead, you know, the people have gotten to their island and they are relatively safe, the whole first, like, hour and f- at almost the entire film is just so bleak. Humanity is at the end of its rope. I, I feel like they didn't say as much, but I feel like you, you, they want you to believe it. this is the last pocket of humanity. Mm-hmm. And they know it. And I mean, I know some people were complaining about all of the acting being over the top in that and how everyone's at each other. And I'm like, they think they're the last pocket of humanity. What do you expect? And there was just something so overwhelmingly bleak about that film. That was one of the first horror films I remember that genuinely made me want to shower afterwards. I just, mm. I, I, I felt the. This is the end of the human race right here. I'm looking at the end of the human race. And why is my favorite character a zombie? Because, <laughs> of course, Howard Sherman's bub was just one of the greatest things that George Romero ever did. Not well, okay, in the zombie films, bub is one of the greatest things George Romero ever did. Okay. You know, I, I did like his approach to it where he insisted that zombies are a, you know, they're, they have to be a metaphor. They have to be about something else. Yes. Um, because the way the way they've evolved or the way they're being used now, which is the way any monster gets used when it becomes a craze, you know, you look back at the you know the the way the, the atomic mutations were used in the fifties. Right, I mean, right. eventually, eventually, it filters down through all the hacks, and it just becomes um, about itself, which means it becomes about nothing. And I think we're at that point now where the only, to me, the only uh, impact zombies have at all is twofold one the what what you're talking about the, the the sense that eventually i mean we all die and uh eventually humanity will not be able to you know reproduce itself and the the dead will inherit the earth and it's it's sort of I mean you can say well that's that's metaphorical for the human condition but it, it it's you know it's the depressing apocalypse uh, uh, the the it's like everything it's always about uh, overcoming the apocalypse but the, there are people who are not afraid to consider what if the apocalypse succeeds what if the apocalypse has a better plan mm-hmm. um, and that is to me just the idea of because there's there there is a depressing uh, subgenre of horror and sci-fi where, you know, especially in sci-fi where you set down on a, well, uh, one of the earliest ones I ever saw as a kid. Um, Oh, uh, first spaceship on Venus. Okay. Set down, yep. Set down on a dead planet. Yep. And the, it was at one time inhabited at one time, uh, ha- actually had a civilization and had enough of one that it destroyed itself. And you just find, you know, shadows on, on walls and, and, uh, and rock body. people. Yeah, and bones crumbling to dust. Um, the other thing is, uh, zombies nowadays have that, the only, the only other impact they have is that they can trigger something in the reptile brain when they're just sort of keep coming toward you and coming toward you where you remember dreams because that's, that's the horror movie that plays in your head at night. Something's coming for you. You're running and you either can't move 
can't move fast enough or no matter how fast you move, what's chasing you is gaining on you. And that's kind of what the zombies are like. They're just the sort of remote, remorseless, endless, never stop. Yeah. It has, it has a dreamlike quality, but that's, a, you know, that feeling can only be uh, excited in the limbic system so many times. And talking and about could, talking about what you said about the zombies actually means <clears throat> something. You know, I mean, um when when uh when my partner and I at the time wrote Surprise, uh we weren't writing a zombie film. The whole idea was as as you well know to talk about the stages of grief. Yes. That's that was the core of the thing. We weren't even thinking about the zombie thing. We we're just like, okay, how can we explore this? Oh, here's how we do it. Really, what yeah. we wanted to talk about was a monologue exploring the stages of grief. That's what we wanted to do. And we said, mm-hmm. what's the best way to do it with absolutely no money and one camera? Yeah, one shot. <laughs> one shot. Well, that was intentional. That wasn't a yeah. we could do this. That was entirely we want to do it this way. But, I mean, we didn't go into that going we want to do a zombie film. We did a we want to talk about something. We want to do something emotional. We want to do a monologue, and we want this is what the monologue is going to be about. Now, what's the framework for it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably the best zombie movie I've ever seen without a zombie in it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure zombies on Broadway. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's a close. <laughs> but um, George, you 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 were you were a pleasure to meet for those five minutes. It was a pleasure to uh, to smoke a cigarette with you, in spite of. Um, and you you will be missed because he was a trailblazer. And then speaking of trailblazers, my God, Martin Landau. Yeah, it's funny. We watched, uh, speaking of zombies, we watched Ed Wood last night, um, which was the day his death was announced. Maybe I watched it death. two days before he passed. Oh, that's eerie. Um, and, well, then you remember, and I had forgotten this, it contains a lengthy scene of, of Johnny Depp and Martin Landau watching White Zombie. Yes. The whole classic, uh, whole classic, I control you with my ha- elaborate hand clasping routine. And uh, Bella with the uh, the world's most uh, intricate and obnoxious uh, uh, hipster chin beard. <laughs> and I'm sorry. There, I mean, he won that Oscar purely for his interpretation of Lugosi's "Pull the String." Uh, <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that, but I, I'm not going to argue. It was a it was a sublime moment. <laughs> No, that was just, that was, he was, I mean, I think the first time I knew of Martin Lando was actually as a child, not Mission Impossible, it was Space 1999. Oh, you know what? No, no, I'd seen him before, I'd seen him in North by Northwest before Okay, I I don't think I'd seen, again, I, I, I encountered Space 1999 very, very young, once again, only three channels, if it was sci-fi, I had to watch it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I watched it, too. I, I'm not even sure I really liked it that much, but no, I never missed it. I, it, was I, one, it was one of those shows because there wasn't much for people like us back then. There was not. I remember the first. I, I actually liked the second season when they added the shapeshifter better. Yeah, it, I mean, uh, it wasn't it, it a had, great show. It was a good concept and it was a very British show. It was very British and it, it had a British. it had a great design aesthetic. It did. Uh, like all. Uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson uh, pro, uh, projects. It looked great. I mean, they they did futurism really well, even even when there weren't puppets in the frame. 
Um, although Sophia had this this idea that women on the moon were just gonna wear weird wigs uh, that made them look like Oompa Loompas. They were just gonna wear these weird wigs in strange shades, the way people would, you know, dude bros would wear baseball caps. <laughs> just had this idea. So. But I remember, I said, I remember I'd seen him in Space 1999 first, and then I discovered Mission Impossible. And then I remember one day, I remember one day vividly, uh, North by Northwest was on television mm-hmm. and it was in my, I had, um, just started getting into Hitchcock phase and I was yeah. like, Oh, a Hitchcock film I've never seen before. Wow. Okay. And then I went, all right, I like this guy. Yeah, no, he's, he's irresistible in that movie. And he said he was, I was reading, he said that it, the, the idea to make, Leonard Gay was his. He says it wasn't in the script, but he wanted an excuse uh, or a reason or a motivation for why Leonard was so anxious to get Ava Marie Saint out of Philip Van Damme's life, right. out of his boss's life. So he figured, oh, well, if it's just if he's, you know, if he has a crush on him or if he's in love with him. Um, and and it's it, Hitchcock was fine with it. And they must have um, they must have decided to either either uh, Ernest LeMann, the screenwriter, weighed in on that as well and, and contributed, or they just left an ad-libbing, because that whole, um, where he's where he's saying, talking to Van Damme about why he doesn't trust Dave Murray Saint, I uh, can't remember, oh, Eve Kendall, that's a guy, says, um, call it my woman's intuition. That's that's a red flag. Right. Uh, oh, I fr- especially that's for right. The, especially for the 50s. I remember, I, you know, it didn't, it didn't even dawn on me when I was a kid and I saw it, but then I remember or when I was probably late teens and saw it at, at the Balboa cinema or local revival house that, Oh, how did they get away with that? Cool. Yeah, that and, is, I, I completely forgot about that one. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but that's right. Wow. They did. Shuck, they did shuck it in there pretty heavy. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I'll say is, is, um, uh, the, the variety of energy that he's able, he was able to put into. Yes. Lugosi, because yes, uh, if, you, if you look at Martin Lando, especially in that era, then you would see him. He would pop up on, you know, uh, uh, at the Actors Studio, whatever that show was called, uh, the James Lipton uh, in Inside the Actors. Inside, studio. thank you. Oh, yes, um, I was thinking up yours, actors. <laughs> <Lando. laughs> well, that's yeah, up yours, James um, Lipton. Yeah, uh, he he was an enormously energetic man. I mean, he he would just. Uh, he just, it was just words flowed out of just like electricity and he would got up and jumped around at one point to illustrate something. And, uh, he was a guy with a, a tremendous, uh, uh, vim and Juan And when you see him playing Lugosi by then also kudos to Rick Baker for that. Makeup. Uh, that uh, uh. Non-monster makeup that really ma- helped make her perform. Oh God. Speaking of makeup. No, I'll get to that. Continue. Sorry. Okay. I was just going to say that that the the way Lugosi goes from you know it's like uh, to you know to beaten down and and to uh, sort of like high just like coked up off you know uh, just off his ass yep. after he shoots up to um, uh, to just literally looking like a, a waxy corpse when he's in in rehab to uh, an elderly man who who when you give him something to do suddenly is again swells with that same vim mm-hmm. like for the for the amount of time he has to play a part 
when he's doing the speech, all of a sudden it's like this guy is just who stoked his furnace. So, and and yet you still believe that it's the L- Lugosi within months of his death. Yes, it was an amazingly finely calculated, uh, c- uh, calibrated performance. It was it, it was it was abs it was absolutely brilliant. So. Uh, Mr. Romero, Mr. Landau, Mr. British guy who was on Doctor Who that my British friends are mourning, and I don't know your name. We suck. Listen to what we're saying. We're saying, we please join us in a moment of silence as we deeply mourn the passing of Martin Landau, George A. Romero, and some British guy we don't really give a shit about. It's not that. I just saw other people mourning You didn't even bother to look up his name. Fine. His name is Trevor Baxter. Well, you could have just said that when we started. I could have, but I didn't look it up, and you did, so it's all good. All right. Anyway, we are to to to. Uh, it's that's just it's it's. We are making light of things here. We're trying to, but this is just it was just a bad day for people as far as the death. Yeah, I mean, three in one day. It's just ridiculous. Yep. Yep. Death. Take a holiday. Hey, you're done. You're done. You got your three. Just, just, just stop for a week, okay? Just a week. Hell, I'd settle for forty-eight hours, okay? Just, just nobody, nobody die for forty-eight hours. Tap out. Ex- oh, speaking, speaking of which, oh, Lord. Uh, have you watched Glow? Not yet. Watch Glow. Oh no, I, it's 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 in my it's in my quay. I have every intention of watching it. I know I was planning on it. I know who's in it. Um, I've seen great reviews, but you liked it as well. Yes, and it is the only. I mean, we we are not uh, we're not a binging household. Um, you binged it. We uh, we did well. I'll tell you, this is the closest we've ever. There was some binging going on, and it wasn't it wasn't me. It was Mary who was very anti binge. Uh, the closest we've got previously was um, Stranger Things. Okay. Where, you know, usually we'll sit down, we got, there's a show. Okay. Well, there's 10 of them or there's 13 or there's eight or whatever. So we'll watch one a week. We'll, we'll stretch it out. That's what we did with, with Mystery Science Theater. Right. And, uh, Stranger Things, we wound up watching, like, after we got a couple in, we wound up watching them, like, one night after another. Not, not, not more than one a night. Okay. But on successive nights. And then with Glow, we just watched the first one. I thought, ah, she, I don't know if she's going to like it, but just watch it. Let's, let's watch the first one. And she took to it. And, and we watched the second one and then the third one. And then we watched like four in a row at her behest. She wow. goes, oh. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's only half an hour. Right. The show. So that's like, uh, we but, binged, we binged Santa Clarita Diet the same way. It was only a half hour show. And um, we plowed through that in two nights. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, I was um, I was shocked when she said, "Oh, let's watch the next one." Uh, no, let's watch one more. Wow. Goes, okay, like the, we got to the fourth one. Okay, this is the last one, and she said it to me like she's talking me down. Right. It's like put the glass down on it. I was like, okay, all right. No, you're right. You're right. I, I've just been going nuts here. What am I thinking? Um. So yeah. So uh, okay, a, a Mrs. C inspired binge. That even if I wasn't going to watch it, that would make me watch it now. Yeah, and then we can talk about it, but I won't say anything else. No, please don't. No, I will watch it this week. I will get into it this week. Um, But but enough enough with the death. We started (laughs) with some happy news. Now let's get into some really happy news. It's pissing off people. Oh yes, the doctor is a woman. The doctor is a woman. Oh, this is so fucking awesome. It is. I am so happy about this. After fifty fucking years. 
Oh, this is so cool. And, and, and I believe, and this name I will get right, I believe her name is Jodie Whittaker. She was amazing in Broadchurch. I haven't seen that, but I loved her in Attack the Block. And Attack the Block as well, where she joined forces with Finn to take down aliens, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's that was the logline for the movie. <laughs> the Doctor and Finn fight monsters. Yeah. But, you know what? I, I I will watch that movie. <laughs> Hollywood. The epic Doctor Who Star Wars crossover. Make it happen, guys. They could do it. Finally. Yeah, really. You know what? All bets are off. The Doctor's a woman. Star Wars can be part of it. It's just, you know, Spider-Man's back in the MCU. Hey, there's just everything is cross-pollination now. And come on, we've had the Doctor Who and Star Trek crossover in comic books. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, no, they did. It was a full-blown, uh, the, the Cybermen and the Borg got together. Well, you know what? That's actually a really uh, sweet play date. They, no, they did it. They, they actually I, – I remember I wasn't going to read it because I thought it sounded just kind of batshit insane. But then I thought, okay, it's batshit insane. Let's check it out. And I'm like, wait, so I remember – this makes sense. Yeah. I can buy yeah. this. Okay, then. And it was Matt Smith's doctor, and Matt Smith's doctor talking to the crew of the Enterprise E was really funny. The doctor and Picard, all I'm saying. Oh, man. Talk about the speechifying that must have happened there. <laughs> but, of course. Now, I did not even know that the new Doctor was going to be announced yesterday. or was, Yeah, yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't either. I thought it was going to be closer to uh, Christmas. And I actually turned on the YouTube, and I saw a uh, blah, blah, blah reacts to 13th Doctor announcement. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to watch a reaction video yet. Where's the actual video? And uh, turn it on. My mommy comes downstairs because she's been she watches Doctor Who, too. She has not watched much of Capaldi, but she's getting caught up on Capaldi now. So she comes down. I'm like, hey, we're about to announce the new Doctor. And um, the, the, uh, you watch the video, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. And you know how the, the shots where they just show her walking? Mm -hmm. First thing mom says is, oh, my God, that's a woman. Look at the way she's moving too smoothly. Too that's smoothly. a woman. She, she's a dancer. That's a woman. And I was like, All right, I can see your point. I don't know. I thought they did a great job, actually. But, um, I mean, how could she, she was walking kind of in slow-mo. How could your mom tell? Mom, so mom just thought that was very fluid movements. And looking our, back our, on it, I'm like, she's on. Does your mom think all men are just shambling zombies? No, she does not. So Develop the theme? Actually, yeah, really. No, I think Mom and I looked at that, that her walking and thought, she's a dancer. I didn't think she was walking in slow-mo. I just thought she was making very deliberate movements. It okay. didn't seem like slow-mo to me. It just seemed very forceful and deliberate and smooth movements. And I thought, I mean, I give her points. Like I said, I wasn't sure about it. Even when the hand came up, I was like, okay, it's a small hand, but those nails, they're, they're, they're short, they're well, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't until I honestly saw the face that I went whole, I mean, the, the eye that I went, they went there. Holy shit, and mom goes, told you. And then oh. when she took off Good. the hood and I realized who it was, I freaked out. Oh, you recognized her? Oh, I, like I said, I love Broadchurch. I love that show. Okay. So, oh yeah, immediately I was like, ah, this is awesome. And I know they have said her costume hasn't been decided yet, but I hope they keep that coat for exterior shots because I love that outfit. It's a nice, it's a nice coat. It was a simple thing. There's something about that coat and that hood that I was just like, keep that. Don't change things right there. There's her travel garb. Yeah, let, let her let her wear a hoodie. You know, she'll, she'll probably get shot by a cop in Florida. But I, well, still. no, she's still white, so it might not happen. She's quite white, yeah. Um, and, of course, some people are pissed about that. 
You, you know what? Uh, not there was no way everyone was going to be happy, but there was a an easy way for a huge percentage of serious fans to be very unhappy, which would be casting one more fucking white guy. And what, um, what I think is hysterical, and uh, Monsieur Probert did, I, I, sh- I should have looked up the quote ahead of time, because he did, he did an amazingly measured response on his blog. Yes, I read, read it. That? Yeah. I was so proud of him because he was so, I'm not going to try and get anybody mad. If you want to think this, that's fine, but it hasn't even come out yet. You know, it's been 50 years. Apparently, they've, they've been talking about making the Doctor a woman since the 80s. You know, and of course, there are people complaining that um, I, I even I even saw the post. Doctor Who, you, they have ruined his this one person's childhood because the doctor is now a woman. So, yeah, I, I never, I, I didn't. Uh, I was in a, uh, I was a sexually active adult by the time I discovered Doctor Who, so my childhood is perfectly safe. Perhaps it should be entrusted to me from now on. Somebody, somebody even said respond. that someone needs to BBC, somebody needs to bomb the BBC and gut Stephen Moffat, even though Moffat had nothing to do with this decision. Right, well, you're, you're, you're not going to expect somebody who thinks something that stupid to have uh, an intelligent plan about how to vent their stupid Opinion. And what I think is hysterical is, you know, some people are going, well, what's next? Jane Bond? What's next? A female Hercule Poirot? What's next? You know, I mean, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, let's see here. Um, uh, a female Indiana Jones, that would be Laura Croft. Um, somebody else did that too, like pointed out all of the, the female, mm-hmm. this female. Well, they actually do kind of exist already, so you don't have to worry about that happening. And the other thing, as somebody else pointed out, He's a fucking shape-shifting alien. Why is this an issue? Yeah, so, somebody posted is one of the comments. The the one of the the, the spectacularly, uh, impressively entertainingly stupid comments was uh, time travelers for men and men only. And well, he's not as he points out himself. He's not actually a man. He's got two hearts. He's he's humanoid, but he's not a, he's not a man. Uh, here's the thing. Here here's my perspective. This is all I'm going to say about it um, because. Uh, I feel like I'm treading on dangerous ground. It, who is not my franchise? It's not my world. It's, it wasn't. I didn't watch it as a kid, so right, right. I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to uh, mount a huge defense because the people who are saying this are people who are, uh, are, are are speaking from an emotional response, basically to getting older. That that when you you discover something as a child and then it changes. Uh, it's hard to adjust to because that's just one more signpost that you are this this much closer to death. You know, you're the the, the world is the world is a different place. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the people who who grew up on on who, no. but yeah, you know, the l- listen listen to your uh, failing prostate. It's telling you that that your days are numbered. No. Don't spend them being a dick. I um I but hang here, on. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that um, you and I are both writers and looking at this from the perspective of somebody who would have to write this character with this enormous half century long history. uh, I won't say continuity because, boy, they play around with that. I was going to say there is no continuity in Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. So let's say legacy, history, background, uh, accumulation of stories told. And I, I... 
that would be a job that would be exciting, but at the same time, really terrifying because it's, if they gave him one more white guy, it's like, okay, and then, ha- ha- and then, uh, maybe we'll, we'll give him a female companion he can sort of banter with. No, shut up. You just, you have to throw, you have to throw a wrench into it every once in a while. You have to, or it just, Everybody starts repeating themselves. The writers, the actors get bored, the audience gets bored. You've got to do something to mix it up. And now they've got you've got a if they if she has a woman companion, that's going to be a different dynamic. If she has a male companion, that's going to be a different dynamic. What I want and, is even though they haven't I would love to see even though they won't do it, to love them to see them bring back the doctor's wife River Song for one more episode. I would love to see River Song deal with the female doctor. Yeah, that, that would be suddenly, an amazing story. Suddenly, rather than than uh, oh a gimmicking ratings grab, let's bring back River Song for no good reason we can think of. Now, it no matter even if the reasons uh, forced and crappy, you're still going to want to see that because that's a whole new dynamic. Something, yeah, it's like, we've seen people from the Doctor's past meet a new uh, a, uh, a regenerated Doctor. Oh, yeah, there's that adjustment you've got to go through but not this kind of it's like oh well so now every especially yeah the doctor's wife is a particularly good example of that so i think that would be awesome i would to me nobody cheered that i'm guessing that decision louder than the people in the writer's room Uh, now as somebody who did discover doctor who as a child and watched it most of my life and caught up with you know watched a lot of the older episodes and the breakdown between old who and new who i got to watch the final sylvester mccoy season as it aired because it was one of the first times pbs showed around the same time as the bbc did you know i doctor who has been in my life most of my life i have no problem saying to all of you complaining about this fuck off Fuck, right. uh, let me let me find the sweatiest place on my balls for you to lick, and if you're Italian, I'll dip it in marinara so you can have a taste of home. There's a flashback for Mike and Ike fans. All of you can eat a dick. There is nothing wrong with this. Scott was nice. I'm not going to be nice. Your man babies, go back in your basement, jerk off to My Little Pony porn, and leave Doctor Who for the intelligent people who are actually interested in interesting stories. I told Dave I wasn't going to be as nice as him. You did. You 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 kind of already started down that slope before you you gave them the the warning. But uh, I it's like it's Dave, like it's Dave like was much in, nicer it's, than I was going to be. So it's like it's like in Doctor it's like in uh, Doctor Strange. He's like you should have stolen the whole book because the warning comes at the end of the spell. <laughs> oh oh. Also, what, what I was going to say earlier when you mentioned amazing makeup, mm-hmm. have you? seen the trailer for um gary oldman's new film where he is playing oh, winston churchill yeah that's 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 an amazing um that's an amazing cosmetics job i just saw the trailer last night for the first time um there was a brand new battlestar galactica reunion panel on the youtubes oh really yeah it just happened like this week it just got posted it's an hour and a half Ron Moore and almost the entire cast was there. Mm. They even had Jamie Bamber show up on Skype for an incredibly uncomfortable moment. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's if, my kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know if he was drunk or if he just didn't want to be there, but he was 
both funny and amazingly unresponsive. I don't know if he was being attempting to be a funny dick or just being a dick, but it was a weird moment. Well, with Skype, never discount the fact that it's just technical difficulties. No, this no, this was he. This was him. I can definitely okay. say this was him. But we just don't know if he was being dickish to be funny or if he was just in a bad mood and being a dick. We can't tell. At least I couldn't tell. It was just very awkward and very, very weird. But it was still a blast to watch. But that trailer was shown before um, they put that trailer before that YouTube video started. And uh, my buddy and I, we're just going to go right to BSG because I was like, dude, it's a reunion. My buddy does not like uh, sci-fi at all. He loves that show. We were all excited for it. But we watched that entire trailer. Oh, my God, Gary Oldman looks incredible. I yeah. think I think Gary Oldman's going for his next Oscar or another Oscar nom, depending. Uh, anytime Gary Oldman gets in front of a camera, he's going for his next Oscar. Point taken. Point taken. But, oh, my God, the very end of the trailer, you hear him do the we shall fight them in the trenches, we shall mm-hmm. fight them in the blah, blah, blah speech. And my jaw was dropped. I was I, I, I cannot believe that I am saying I will be there day one on a film about Winston Churchill. Uh, it looked pretty interesting. Are you going to go see uh, Dunkirk? Uh, I'm more interested in the church. I will see Dunkirk because it's a Christopher Nolan film. Mm-hmm. That's but, a wonder. I, uh, you know, that may be that may be a that's not going to be an opening weekend. That's going to be a if there's nothing else that I want to see, or it's going to be a renter. The Churchill film, I will see day one. Okay, the Churchill film. For those who are wondering what the hell we're talking about, is called Darkest Hour. Thank you. And uh, apparently, now that I'm looking, Gary Oldman spent 200 hours in makeup. In the makeup chair to become Winston Churchill. I'm assuming that's 200 hours total, not he had to sit there 200 hours at a time. (laughs) Seriously, folks, if you have not seen this trailer yet, if you're interested at all in history, acting, or just want to see Gary Oldman look like you've never seen him before, hunt down the trailer for Darkest Hour. Uh, We may, hey, Scott, if you want to, do you want to put the link to it into the description when we put this up? Sure. If and you want to, so we'll set up so you can look at it there. But you definitely want to check this out because this just the the actor in me is going, I need to see this movie, not the movie fan. The actor in me is going, I need to watch this performance. See, that's the thing. There was nothing in Dunkirk. Dunkirk, I was just like, okay, that looks like an interesting film. Uh, I watched that and I went, the actor in me is going, I need to experience this. (laughs) Well, what's the actor in you? What about Dunkirk? They've got a guy from One Direction in it. Which is why the actor in me is not going, I need to experience his performance. But they gave him a period-appropriate haircut. That's commitment. Yay! But anyway... You're a cynic, man. Yes! There's a reason why Grumpy McGrumpnuts goes to war. (laughs) That was the that was that was the least inspiring episode in the Why We Fight series. <laughs> that actually sounds like one of those patriotic cartoons Disney made. Oh jeez. <laughs> Featuring Donald Duck. You know, Goofy recycles rubber. Oh jeez. Uh, All right. Uh can you is anything else geeky that you want to throw out? Uh, no, my, uh, I think I, I think I spent my geek. All righty then. Um, we will be right. Get to the Spider-Man. Yes, we will be right back after this, um, shameless whoring. Greetings, brothers and sisters. 
Our reading today is from the Book of Better Living Through Bad Movies, Chapter 4, The Five Stages of Bad Sequels. As William Goldman, screenwriter of such films as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Princess Bride, once memorably observed... Nobody in Hollywood knows anything, including how to make movies. Not to say that good movies don't get made by Hollywood, but too often they tend to be happy accidents like penicillin. Or silly putty. <laughs> and even when the studios do manage to make a picture people want to see, they don't know when to quit. Instead, they rob the grave of the original movie and try to pass off the moldering corpse as an old familiar friend with whom we're eager to renew our acquaintance. But because they don't know anything, including why the original was popular, they often steal the wrong body. Maybe it was the movie's gimmick we responded to, like in Highlander. Sure, the idea of immortal head-hunting Scotsmen roaming the centuries has a certain intrinsic appeal. But did anybody really enjoy Christopher Lambert? No, of course not. So, what do they do for an encore in Highlander 2? Ditch the whole premise of the original, but bring back Chris. Or maybe it was a character the audience enjoyed, such as Batman. So in Batman and Robin, let's bury him under a bunch of other stupider characters that everybody hates. And let's hedge our bets with a barrage of badly edited action and confusing camera work that will allow George Clooney to sneak out of the on-screen scrum and go date a supermodel while we sit here and suffer. But worst of all, there's an unmistakably ghoulish quality to sequels. Sort of like that Twilight Zone episode where the old woman kept a party of mummified dinner guests gathered around her table. To illustrate our point, let's say you had a really fun friend. We'll call him Bob. Bob was such a great company that when he croaked, it left you with an unrequited hunger for additional Bob-specific shenanigans. Ordinarily, you'd have to be content with your memories, wouldn't you? But suppose Bob was an organ donor. Now, his liver may still be capable of filtering toxins and storing glucose, but you're not going to find the remaindered organ as charming and fun to be with as the whole Bob was. And if you try to recreate the unique chemistry you two had by taking his liver to Fedway Park and sitting in the stands chugging Budweiser and swapping dirty jokes, you would likely find the experience fell short of the expectations set by your previous outings with Bob. And this, basically, is the Hollywood sequel in a nutshell. It's sitting in the bleachers under a hot sun, drinking beer with some organ meat. Welcome back. That was John Zura and Blanche Ramirez with a live recitation from Better Living Through Bad Movies. It's just like being in a beatnik coffee shop on Poetry Slam night. Wait, but, but Better but Living Through Bad Movies? Who wrote that? I some hack. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um... <laughs> uh, Anyway, the Unknown Movie Challenge we're, challenge, we're challenging this week is uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches thieves, just like guys. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a stream. 
technically a sequel or not is a question that's up for debate at least if you listen to my wife but <laughs> unquestionably it's one of the few bright spots along with wonder woman in a summer marked by sequels that have deflated at the box office like so many souffles assuming souffles cost 200 million dollars and people didn't eat them they just bought tickets to them okay it's an imperfect analogy but in my defense souffles are mostly air which is also true of michael bay's resume Oh, this episode, <laughs> this, episode, this episode, we're joined by new movie crew regulars, John Blanche and Mary Clevenger, making her triumphant return after a uh, month long convalescence. Yay. Welcome. Back. Yay. Uh, so what I'd like to do is just uh, go around real quickly to everyone and do a uh, Siskel and Ebertian thumbs up, thumbs down. Just generally, was is your reaction positive, negative, and one quick reason why, and then we will get into the specifics. So let's start with Mary. Thumbs up. This movie was, uh, first of all, it was very funny, had clever moments in it, and uh, it's something I think it's a Marvel movie. I want my I want kids to go see. I'm okay with it. No Deadpool, yes. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Blanche, um, generally positive, and I think a lot of that had to do with Tom Holland's performance. I think it was wonderful. Okay, John, I'm going to give a qualified thumbs up because this is the first time that I enjoyed a DC movie better than I liked a Marvel movie. Um, I got a feeling that my problem was is that I'm just kind of really over the uh, coming of age teenage film type type genre thing. And uh, though I liked the movie, I just wasn't as enthralled with it as I was with Wonder Woman. Okay. Um, for me, I, I give it a thumbs up. Uh, I like the return to the character's roots. This is the, this is the Lee uh, Ditko Spider-Man straight out of 1962. He's a gifted but popular, unpopular teenager with typical teen problems that are not solved. They are made worse by the acquisition of superpowers. Um, and I, I uh, also like its departures from Canada. The, the fact, specifically, the fact that Aunt May, for the first time, <laughs> is a sensible, sensible age. To be, she looks like she could be uh, the aunt of someone's of someone Peter's age. In the comics, Aunt May looked like an unwrapped mummy. And <laughs> in this case, yeah, uh, Marissa Tomei is maternal in the Aunt May way, but she's also she's also a milfy bridge and title Italian type uh, who who uh, you can actually believe would take one look at Peter in his costume and shout, "What the fuck!" <laughs> Best line in the movie. That's like, exactly. Uh, Jeff. Uh, it's... Okay, non-spoilery. This continues my the, the, the weirdness with superhero films actually impressing me. Um, <laughs> I do have some issues with it, but this ranks right up there on my list of favorite movies of this year for two 
very specific reasons, which we'll get into probably in the spoiler section. But there are two things in particular that make this just below Logan on my favorite films of this year so far. Okay. But there you go. There not spoiler. Yeah. Look forward to look forward to getting into that. Um, so let's let's just quickly talk about something that uh, about which there has been some disagreement. Uh, and I, I whether this is even uh, a sequel, uh, I think partly those categories are becoming, uh, if not completely useless, they're becoming very muddled with the with the way things are going on. But in Spider-Man's case, it's it's almost unique. Because it was, it's the you know, it's it's Marvel's property, Marvel's creation, but it was uh, uh, it was sold to Sony. Sony's been making the movies without Marvel input outside the Marvel universe, and now uh, because they did, uh, they bollocks it up so uh, spectacularly, uh, they came crawling back and uh, cut a deal with Marvel, and now Spider-Man is is back where he begins. The it was always weird to me that the, the Marvel universe, as much as I have enjoyed these movies. Always felt just it was like an empty. It was like the the opening of uh, you know Omega Man. Like, where is like where is Spider Man? Spider Man, what it was the single biggest figure. So is, is Sam moment. Jackson Anthony Zerby? Uh, yeah, I in many ways, in many more that. many more ways than one might think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, and by the way, I'm going to be coughing because I've got I've got a chest cold, so I apologize for that. Right, right. Um, so this is the sixth. It's the sixth movie that the character has been featured in, but it's not. It's it's clearly not part of the the previous continuity uh, established, you know, for the Tobey Maguire and then the Andrew Garfield movies. Um, I'm I'm going to say this. This movie did the thing that. I and a ton of other geeks have been begging for no more origins. <laughs> Something I really liked. How many people here, no voices, were just rolled their eyes white when they saw we were going to get Batman's origin at the beginning of Batman v Superman? Oh, oh absolutely. It was yeah. there was no need. It was absolutely no. so. Now, Blanche has several views on the on the uh, sequel not sequel uh, issue. Oh, yeah. do tell. They're good ones too, but she's keeping them to herself. <laughs> Are we gonna have to beg? All right. Okay. So I think it sounds like that maybe Mary and I have similar notions about how this this one of my problems with this movie is that. Um, it doesn't feel so much a standalone for Spider-Man as I wish it were. Um, okay. You guys still hear me? Okay, good. Oh, yeah. yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. Um, it, 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 it feels like it's part of Iron Man and Tony Stark's story, and, and that's too bad. Um, it feels like a piece of... And it is. I mean, that's 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 a greater issue of like now he's now part of this franchise. I mean, they even so much as said, oh, yeah, he's a you're an Avenger now. So he, he never got to be just Peter and Spider-Man. And that's why it feels like it's a sequel, even though the it is Iron Man connection, you know, right. 
That's that's a that's a really good point. I mean, I mean, uh, Iron Man basically became the 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 spine of the Marvel universe in in lieu of Spider Man because Spider Man wasn't available when when they made uh, when they really first launched the film series. So I guess I guess that was that was unavoidable. It that you know that's a really good point because the 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 Spider Man in the in the comic books was this loner kid who really had no one to turn to and what a great uh, life-changing thing happened he there was no one he could tell he didn't want to tell his aunt may because you you give her a heart attack yeah (laughs) and he had no he he had no no one else he could turn to and now with tony stark being such a uh a pivotal figure and them having to you know the leaning on the stark tech to make the suit more cool uh he has a he has a de facto mentor which is un-spider-man-ish that's that's true and and it 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 is also a, a Tony Stark story because not only we still see Peter uh, make that decision to change from being the kid to the man, specifically Spider-Man, right? When he has his panic attack on, and in that moment makes the decision, am I going to be the child or am I going to figure this shit out and, and do it? Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a character shift in this for Tony, where he, we saw, we've known Howard Stark's transformation. We've seen him through the movies and through Agent Carter, how he goes from this playboy and now he, then he becomes very serious. He, the, the, the Howard Stark Tony knows, right? The father figure, the stern disciplinarian guy who never, nothing was ever good enough. And so we see Tony Stark take on the responsibility of being a father figure, uh, Peter never asks for it, it seems. Peter wants to be the equal. He wants, I'm going to be an Avenger. Am I an Avenger now? Can I be an Avenger now? Mm-hmm. He wants to be with them, but Tony has taken it upon himself to play the father to Peter, even go, going so far as saying, look, my father never did this. I want to be that way for you. And so he is evolving. So that's another reason why it feels like an episode in Tony Stark's life, because they add all of this about his transformation and at the end, it culminates in he's being responsible. He's finally planning to make an honest woman out of um, uh, oh, uh, Pepper. Pepper. Thank you. I wanted to say Penny, and I knew that was wrong. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's another reason why it feels less a standalone Spider-Man and more of a just another chapter in Tony Stark's life. But it did answer a major question that uh, – and I'm going to steal this from you, Blanche. Uh, well, the wondering why – how this kid could make this really great suit, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, he starts out with a really lousy suit and somehow makes a really good one. Well, now we know it was given to him by Stark. So there it goes. Answer that question. I I liked that. Because I like the fact that his costume in uh, in Civil War and the one he winds up going back to briefly in this one is so horribly shitty. I mean, it's just it's just basically sweatpants and a hoodie. Right. Uh, and he's Actually, only. And he, and he's only got one web shooter. Yeah, it's actually worse than some of the Spider-Men we see on Hollywood Boulevard. It actually, <laughs> it actually manages to be that. And you've got yeah. to work. By the way, some of interesting little piece of trivia concerning Spider-Man's suit. Do mm-hmm. you know who the voice is? I do. Uh, I do. Okay. Uh, then, and do you know her connection to the Marvel Universe? She's married 
to uh, Paul Bettany. That is right. The voice of Spider-Man huh. suit is none other than Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Nice. Uh, she's Miss Jarvis. Yes. Miss Jarvis. Wasn't but, wait, wasn't but, she the the wasn't didn't she play the female lead in the Edward Norton Hulk? Hulk? Or the uh, first Hulk. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's Hulk, right. The, uh, yes. Young, young Lee that, Hulk. Yep, she yeah. was. That's right. She was in the, she was the Norton Hulk as well. Yes. Or, but that no, was an annoying. That's right. I did find something annoying about the suit uh, is that he kept on taking off the head piece so he could breathe even when and putting it back on again for some reason, even when he was fighting against somebody who knew who he was. He still had to put it back on again and then take it off so he could breathe. It's just like, why did you just leave it off, man? Mm. You could fight so much better. I, I think at that point it was the symbolism of him deciding to be Spider-Man. Mm. I, I think that I think it was the visual. Yeah. Also, he says uh, in in just to get super nerdy about it in uh, Civil War, when he uh, Stark is in his uh, bedroom looking at his shitty costume, and he he picks up the 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 goggles that uh, part of the costume, and he goes, "Can you even see through these?" And uh, Peter says, "Well, when you know, I got these the powers. You know, my my senses got turned up to eleven, and and they just they help me focus. So it may just be that that." having some you know narrowing his his vision otherwise it's just he's getting you know spider sense pings from everywhere and yes like uh, like a lots of different images you know uh segregated segmented images right yeah, yeah but he's got compound eyes yeah. there you go right. he's he's everything is uh, a family affair when he looks at it the yes. opening credits. well speaking of the suit mary said something during the movie that, that i think is is it was very accurate um I thought it was very interesting, and I wondered if in, if whoever one of the I hear there's six screenwriters, so one of them oh, I wonder yeah. if they um if they had seen or I should say read the John Rogers um Keith Giffen. Giffen. yeah uh their um their kind of reboot of the Blue Beetle with um, Jaime Reyes because with the um when the when we realize that there's a voice in Spider-Man's suit and all of a sudden it's weaponized, one of the first things, and of course he's got that little drone flying around too, one of the first things is like, oh, you want me to kill these people? And That's I was like, like, do you want instant kill? One yeah, and kill? It was, I was like, That's exactly what happened when when, um, when Jaime Reyes turned on the, the Blue Beetle suit. It's like, no, I don't want to hurt anybody. Stop it. Why are okay. you being so murderous? Yeah, oh. of course that that's a DC character, but yeah, it was it was very similar because uh, yeah, in Jaime Reyes's case it was a uh, it was alien tech that was basically designed you know to to murder people and that's what it wanted to do. So that was that was you know everything. The first option was always the nuclear option, um, but I think I think that was probably inevitable because they basically Tony's Tony's tech talking to him has been established since the first film, so. That's that's how he works. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, action to character uh, balance, because I think this was this was interesting. It didn't seem like they were straining for big uh, action set pieces. I mean, it, it, the, the world was not uh, imperiled. Uh, city was not going to get demolished. It was actually, it was actually kind of a t- almost. If you look at it on its basic level, it was kind of a TV movie crime show plot. He was trying to stop weapons dealers. It was I mean, uh, Nicholas Nicholas Hammond could have been the Spider Man for this. 
what part of friendly neighborhood Spider-Man don't you understand? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's I think that to me, that's a plus that there was that it was it was uh, it was there were neighborhood stakes mm-hmm. in a sense. And, I like uh, that it wasn't a final showdown type thing where, you know, everybody he loves has been captured by the bad guy. And, oh, uh, you know, I like that. I like it was like just going to be a ascending. fight. No yeah. giant ring of crap in the sky. Exactly. Yeah, I'm tired of sky anuses. <laughs> <laughs> sky Sorry, anus and ahead. the world of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, it's a peppy theme song, but still. Um, okay, Jeff. So, what? Uh, expand on your thoughts. So, okay. That- uh, I will say, as 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 much as I thoroughly enjoyed the film for the two reasons, which I will get into shortly, I do want to throw out that a I think a lot of the comedy fell flat on its thorny ass. Oh, okay. A lot of jokes did not work for me at all. Um, I would have been happier with about 20% less Ned. Mm. I didn't mind. This is not the actor. This is entirely what they gave him. I think, I just think the character would have been more interesting to me with 20% less. A lot of the humor did not work for me. That being said, the two things that make this the coolest superhero film, comic book superhero type film in a while uh, equally, definitely equally what a woman for me. They both kind of tie into the same thing. Michael Keaton. First off, thank you, God, yes. Marvel, you finally gave us an interesting villain. Thank you, God. Not only that, it's a villain whose motivations make sense. Everything about this guy is cool. You can empathize with him, something that the mummy didn't learn. You know, I mean, while you're being afraid of him, you can actually feel bad for him to a degree. And this, the greatest scene, this movie has one of the greatest single freaking moments that I have seen in a movie like any Spider-Man film, as far as I'm concerned, when he goes to pick up his homecoming date and the drive to the dance. Yep. <laughs> I have to, I have to More say. More awkward than normal. Yes, I, I was surprised. I, I, I was, I, it's usually those kind of twists don't catch me off guard, but I was so wrapped was, up in the movie. I was that stunned. I was, my jaw yeah. dropped and that... The car scene. Oh, my God. The car scene was just fucking brilliant to me. Great acting, great writing. Everything was realization. And then when he... I can't remember what the line is when he says, you know, excuse us, we're going to have a dad talk. I'm just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is... Yeah. And the fact that he pulls out a gun. Yes. How many dads actually wish that they could do that? <laughs> yes. With their their daughter's date. And my God, the way Keaton played that scene, you totally you totally saw him get it. It wasn't yeah. overplayed. Yeah. That was just that was just that to me. I this is just me being me, but that to me was the movie. That is why that movie is so great right there because you have it's just great acting and, a, and information is being delivered. People are figuring things out. They took what could they they put a smart. A great smart scene in what could have been a fun, dumb movie, and that impressed the fuck out of me. Yeah, uh, and I was wondering about when you know Tom Holland's reactions in that, going, "Well, what are you, what are you thinking, kid?" I don't, you know, he was kind of a blank face. But then, of course, he when was you learn, a mile a minute. 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. And when you see later that he was plan, you know, he was planning a tracker by leaving his phone and making sure it was on and ready to, like he he already knew. So I like that that he was just playing. Uh huh. I don't like he was playing dumb. He was thinking, like you said, a mile a minute, and it makes sense later that what he was doing. And then um, she's got something going on in her mind. There's like three different stories happening in that mm-hmm. scene, and you don't normally get that in a comic book movie. No. I remember saying to Scott after the movie, Osama um, said, I really like Michael Keaton. Like you said, Jeff, that he, you actually have some, some empathy. You have some sympathy yes. for this guy. He had this great contract. He was going to make money. He was going to do right by his family. And then here comes the rich people messing it all up. And then there's that great um, conversation that the Vulture has with Spider-Man. Uh, just before everything falls in on top of him, where um, mm. his webbed, where he's talking about, you know, the, it's all about the billionaires and they come in and we're just a couple of guys from Queens. Um, I really like that too. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeff, yeah. I, I, when you said about, you know, you could use a lot less Ned and, and more Keaton and, and how I, I think that was, um, I think that's, the brilliance of this movie and maybe it's a it's a maybe maybe it's disney's hand in it i don't know but ned was for the kids oh i completely don't you get know me and wrong. That's, that's, I get that's it. to get the kids in and because you just want to draw in those new fans all much, the time much like that, baby groot i so totally get it blanche i yeah. know why the character's there and i mean and he and holland have great chemistry together i do not deny that yeah. It's just a personal thing with me. I'm like, ah, oh, that could have been. But oh my God, you know, you know, the kids are going to see this multiple times. You know, yes. this is going to make the bank. Oh, it it already has. It it, it it's uh, uh, the analysts who who make a business of predicting uh, box office said this is going to make a hundred million dollars, and and that's unusual for. Um, for an opening weekend, it's it, some people are saying, "Oh, that's pretty optimistic," and Sony was saying, uh, "We're thinking eighty. We'll be happy with eighty million." And I and they probably would have been, but it, it, projections now are, are like one hundred and seventeen. It's yeah. way surpassed what they were expecting. Okay. Um. So it's already it's already gone beyond you know the the basic Marvel fan base in just the first weekend. I know. If I was a kid. And I was seeing this movie, knowing the way I was as a kid, I would probably see this between three to five times in the theater. Oh, me too. Yeah, well, so. Spider Man Spider Man was always my favorite character and okay. I did right by him. I, I do want to say something because Blanche mentioned Disney and I, I think they they handled this in a really deft way. They made I mean, Keaton starts off and, and he's you know, he's this working class guy, doesn't seem like a bad guy at all, but because of the businesses he's in, I mean, and this isn't something that's gonna to occur to kids, but adults or certainly mm-hmm. people who lived in New York make this association. It's like he's probably kind of mobbed up. He's pro- <laughs> he's maybe he not connected, but but he's you know, he knows he knows some guys. Um the they make him seem dangerous. They make him seem like he might kill you. But they make him seem like he might kill you if and only if he has a reason. Because mm-hmm. when he kills the guy who's using the shocker glove. That was an accident. It's an accident. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't go through, you know, paroxysms of guilt and remorse. But mm-hmm. it's like he wasn't. He, I thought that was the anti-gravity gun. No, it's yeah. over there. And along the same lines, let's talk, you know, jumping for sort of talking about his arc right now. 
you know, his post credit scene. He doesn't give up Peter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I know some right. people were sitting there. Some people are saying it was it's because he wants to kill him himself. And I'm like, okay, for once they didn't kill a villain. That may be. But come on. He saved his life. He saved his he daughter's saved his life. life. Exactly. Everything is about the family. He owes Peter Parker a debt, and he's paying it back. Yeah. He I, seemed I, kind I, of. I'm sorry. He seemed kind of sheepish when he was found all webbed up. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem angry. He seemed kind of like, well, look at that. Yes. I want a completely different take on the traditional movie comic book suit villain. Yeah, and and some people don't. Yeah. I, I have have said I've read that that it's like, oh, you know, he you can see he's he wants to keep you know he's got this steely look in his eye because he wants Spider Man for himself. No, I didn't get that no, at all. I at got all. the sense that that he owed him, and he's not going to give him up. Certainly not to you know. Uh, I, I think the guy was supposed to be the scorpion. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like that. And the thing about it is I believed it, the way Keaton had played the character and the fact that he wasn't just this homicidal maniac like a lot of villains devolve into, right. uh, that he was a rational guy. I know everybody a... loves the movie, but I'm going to throw it out there. The most boring villain in forever, Ronan the Accuser. Oh, absolutely. I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy right. Volume 1, but I agree. Ronan's... Ronan doesn't have doesn't become even remotely interesting until the very end, and only then because he's so clearly puzzled by Chris Pratt. <laughs> but I, I and I also do got to throw out there just because since we're talking like ending and spoilers, my God, the end of that movie that what the fuck fade out was just that was wonderful. <laughs> I cannot believe they went there. That was that's the the, the the two things that I just I could not believe they totally that they did that just shocked me. Another reason why I think I'm so enjoyed the film so much was a Michael Keaton. B that car scene. I am going to be talking about that car scene. I think forever. Yeah, I it was definitely a, that's a great fucking moment. Yeah, it was, it was an Aunt May for the 21st century. And then her her now. I mean, what this means for the future of the of of. Peter Parker, I find fascinating. And now I'm also wondering, since they introduced Miles Morales' uncle, if Spider-Man does go back to Sony, Miles Morales will become the new Marvel Spider-Man. I think I think they're laying that track in case in case they do part. Um, but who knows? I mean, the, the movie makes. See again, we talked about this, yep. I, I, and I can't remember if we talked about it on the show. Or it was just when you. Oh no, we, no we did. We did talk about it on the show. Okay, so I'll just I'll just reiterate that that this can go one of two ways, and it's either Sony's going to say, "Oh, okay, this is this is the way you do it." That we're they're just banking uh, back in the Brinks truck up. That's fine. We'll just we'll just stick with the winner. Keep making a Marvel, and and we'll rake it in. Or they'll go, "Oh, that's how it's done. Now we've got the formula." Mm-hmm. We'll and we'll go and make and they'll wind up killing the golden goose. Yeah. Go now, which brings us a, back to the sequels. Yeah, I have a question <laughs> for you guys, being much more superhero fans in general than I am. Um, did the lack of spider sense bother you? A little well, bit. It was in there. They didn't make a big deal mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I mean, it was, didn't... He didn't. He didn't go. Oh, danger. He didn't do that kind yeah. of thing. There wasn't enough of that. He was almost getting hit all the time. I'm like, what happened to yeah. your spider sense? Well, have you heard exactly. why? Do you know why? No. no. Um, okay, I, I actually just watched a report on this. I can't remember who they interviewed, but the uh, basic concept is that's the only one of um, 
Spider-Man's quote-unquote spider powers that mm-hmm. they cannot explain scientifically. Everything else within the realm of the Marvel Universe can be explained. This was said by one of the producers. They said the Spidey sense may come into it eventually, but at this point in time, they're like, to them, that's more like magic. And they the radioactive really spider bite cannot be yes. scientific. I'm just telling you what they said. Okay, I, th- I well, think I think, just, I think they're just making something up. No, that, that's, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a producer talking out of his freaking ass because <laughs> um, because the the whole reason that they, it, if they don't make a big deal about it in the movie, it's because it's hard to visualize. I mean, if you read the comic books, yep. he's got he's he got he's got yep. he, he's got yeah he's got wavy lines coming out of his head. He always says. My spidey he's, sense is tingling. My spidey sense is tingling. There must be danger, or oh, something's coming from behind me. I mean, it's. Raimi did it with camera work in with, in the Maguire movies. Yep. It can be done. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He did, and and I mean, I mean, there was a little bit of it uh, in uh, Civil War when um, uh, Tony Stark throws whatever it was the the web fluid uh, cartridge or whatever at his head, and he just without looking reaches up and grabs it so i mean it's like you, you get the sense that his he's got the sort of 360 uh degree awareness but yeah i mean uh, yeah as uh, far as far funny. as the as far as the producers are concerned spidey sense specifically is not in the character yet that's why i brought it up because i know that's become a bone of contention with a lot of people it's, i gotta say it's gonna well, it's gonna come with the voice change once the balls drop the spidey sense <laughs> <laughs> That I'm makes a lot thing. of sense. Because I got to say, it didn't bother me. And real fast, I got to say, Blanche, your whole thing about it being Tony Stark's story, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> as I barf up along, that was really interesting um, take on it. Because I got to tell you, I didn't take it that way at all. I totally felt like this was Peter Parker's movie. I felt like, I mean, I honestly thought that there was going to be more Tony Stark in the film than there actually was, and that was entirely because of the trailers. I was surprised by how little Tony Stark there was in the film. Okay, but let me tell you, how much of, during the film, was he preoccupied with Tony Stark and making happy, happy, and contacting happy? And there was so much preoccupied, he was so preoccupied with that. He did. I think Tony Stark was more in the movie than we actually saw. Well, he was—he was, he was definitely kind of like the Bechdel test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you see, now I also he, think he was in—he was in Spider-Man. He was in Peter's head more than he was in yes. the movie. And I yes, think that—that's a presence. I, I yes, do think I, now, though, that he's—he's he's not going to be in his head as much. Right, but I, I think part—I think part of it was. I don't think it was necessarily. I—I I disagree that it was. Uh, I mean, you make you make a good point, and and you can definitely look at it that way. Forgive but I, me, feel I don't like, mean to go ahead. No, I I just I feel like it, it wasn't he wasn't uh, it wasn't advancing Tony Stark's character, or he wasn't focusing. I think Tony Stark was there primarily as not a, as not an antagonist, but an impediment to keep Spider-Man from being uh, from becoming um, you know the amazing Spider-Man too quickly to keep him. Um, hobbled, so to speak, and and I think that that was smart because it allowed them to start the Spider-Man, the Marvel series, with a fairly believable villain, uh, with a fairly earthbound villain, even though he flies. Because um, huh. Spider-Man never 
was never one to fight cosmic threats. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he beat up one of Galactica's um, heralds once, but that was... So like, will we see him thwip Thanos? Will there be Thanos thwipping in the, in the Infinity War? Uh, if so, he'll just get you know swa- squashed like a bug. <laughs> you know, there's something generally about the Marvel Universe that uh, that always kind of bemuses me. Ever since the uh, the advent of Shield and these huge flying uh, battleships, etc. Oh, the helicarriers. Yeah, we yeah exactly because. Years ago, we said that, you know, jet engines are much better than propeller engines, mm-hmm. and yet they have this fascination about these big propeller turbines. I noticed including, that with the Vulture. Yep. Including in the Vulture. You know, yep. it's just that they carry it forward. It's like, really? That, that's, that's, that's the most efficient way to get around? Really? <laughs> so. That's interesting. I wonder if, that, if, if that's just – if in the uh, helicarriers that were in uh, – when did we first see them? Was the the Avengers where they first showed up? The I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the event. Yeah, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the the turbines were just were a nod to the um, helicarriers in the comics, or whether they just whether they thought it made it more realistic, and, and that the fact that they that now they're kind of just stuck with that visual style. I mean, they did change it in Civil War. It went from turbines to these, um, you know, repulsor, anti gravity uh, mm-hmm. propulsion right, systems. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it, it it did have that. It did have a a, a jet turbine uh, look to it in the go. I kind of liked. I did like the um, the vulture exoskeleton thing. It did kind of. It looked uh, cobbled together out of different, you know, materials and different devices. It looked uh, better than the rhino. But oh. and and they did set it up because you know you that thing was like crashing through things and not being damaged at all. But he set it up early on saying, "No, you can't drill, you can't cut through that yeah. stuff. You have to use the tech against them. You know, whatever." Oh, that's right. So, yeah, yeah, it's but, indestructible. You know. And I understood how the the wings, how that all made it through, but I still didn't understand how the man survived any of that. Yeah. Um, uh, comic book. I, I know, <laughs> but then you can have Spidey sense if you can have him. Yeah, I agree. Point. Valid point. Yes, very true. I agree, but you still have stupid uh, producers. You know, the producers, the only. No, I, I take that back. Producers are like <clears throat> modern, any other modern CEO. You know, in the old days, you'd, you'd get a guy who would be head of a bank and he would know a lot of things about banking. He'd come up through banking or someone who, you know, is the head of gold, metal, flower, and they. They know how flour is made. You know, they weren't brought in from a tire company, you know, to, to run it. They would actually they knew their industry. And and now you get guys who, you know, are running, multi, you know, multinational corporations, no clue what they make or how they make it and, and don't care because it's all just about, you know, uh, finance, the, the financial sector. You kind of get the same thing with producers. You Someone can come in, uh, be be at the head, have decision making power over a multi-million dollar enterprise like one of these movies and really know nothing about the character. Like, oh, well, you know. Stop talking. John, stop moving. Sounds like he's being attacked by his furniture. I, I think the cat has just launched an attack. I don't yeah. know. I have no idea. I'm in another room. <laughs> it's turning into one of, the, one of those horrible CGI sequences from the remake of the uh, the haunting. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fireplace is a document. John, John, okay. 
Oh, you 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 survived the cat attack. Oh, talking to me. <laughs> okay, he lives. All right. He lives. The, the cat. I see. I can't. I can't imagine. I, I, I think the chair is eating him. <laughs> so um, I'm melty. Oh God. <laughs> I am so, melty. So, uh, John, you mentioned you're kind of tired of of um, coming of age stories. Um, yeah, it's, I found myself kind of stumped. Of course, it could have been the fact that we had three drinks before that, but um, <laughs> I just what? kind of sat there. Sat there stunned and just kind of looking at it, going, "Yeah, I'm liking this, but I don't know. It's just not getting. It's not taking me where it should be taking me." So, do you think if it was, um, if they had kept the continuity of the previous five films, and he was Spider-Man, you know, he was like Andrew Garfield age, and they weren't dealing with the with the high. If he didn't go back to high school, would that have worked better for you? Do you think? Was that was that part of it that was just did you find that it was just too well tread? It was like an Archie comic or something. Maybe because because it's basically you got a lot of uh, kids making kids mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. and and being, you know, like my, my one of my favorite lines in the movie was, but you are a kid. Right. Right. Said by Ned, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's the point. And you know, these I I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I know enough about that. And, and just that kind of. That, I'm past that. <laughs> okay, I did. I did. I have to say, I did like uh, several of the things they did to to make him seem like a kid without without lampshading it too much. I mean, one of the more obvious ones, but I I really enjoyed it was when he when he says that line. He goes, "I'm tired of Mr. Stark treating me like a kid," and he's jumping on the bed. Yeah, and saying that. Right. Uh, and the other thing was, you have that series of dissolves when he's he's uh, trapped in that. Um, government warehouse with uh with the alien tech and he's having this hard dark conversation with her and he's doing all these things there's all these things he's jumping around he's trained he's like, he goes oh it's just good to have someone to talk to how long have i been here 37 minutes what <laughs> that's completely it's such a kid a, yeah it's such a kid's sense of time oh my yeah, God. Like, <laughs> yeah no i didn't mind him being a kid i'm i'm fine with them going back to that you know mm-hmm. uh I think it's good, and of course, if they'd uh, made um, and let's not even discuss the Andrew Garfield movies. I don't; they don't exist for me. <laughs> um, I like the Star Wars prequels for me. He'll always be Frank to me. Um, that's a Doctor Who reference, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, it, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> never mind. I got nothing. I, I had something, but I don't want to go there. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, don't, don't go there if you don't want to. Okay, <laughs> well. Uh, let's, let's end, let's, 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 uh, veer toward the end here because, uh, uh, we have to, we have to, uh, meet our schedule today. So, uh, let's, let's have final thoughts and, and, and I generally liked the movie. I think, I think for the most part we did. So we don't, we don't have to go good, bad. Uh, but you know, it doesn't have to be fascinating, irritating, but just final thoughts, good and bad. Uh, uh, there's the cat. Wow. Mm-hmm. She came too. <laughs> yeah, so um, I did. I did have it. It was something I was saving for, uh, for you know, disappointing and everything, whatever. Um, the the thing that impressed me about the film was by placing it into a uh, uh, a gifted uh, school. Mm-hmm. They had great diversity in the characters. Mm-hmm. Really nice diversity. We had you know from uh, almost any any drawn uh, what do you call it walk of life. Uh, but the thing that kind of irritated me was 
the two spots where uh, the smartest boy anyone ever knows, uh, one when he's uh, taking apart that uh, that device and he's whacking away at it with a hammer. Yes. <laughs> and, and Ned has to with all these wires and things and Ned has to come over and explain to him what it is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how it works. And the other one was that um, he couldn't figure out that uh, smashing through a bunch of columns would cause the uh, the building to come down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, look, look, look. He just smashed through 14 columns and, you know, only two left. I can I can handle it. You know. Yeah. I, th- I think there's I think there's a there's a possible you if you want to help the movie explanation for that, you can just say, well, he was so focused on jumping around and, and not getting hit, which is what he thought was happening, that he didn't notice the structural damage. The other one, there is no there. The only explanation for Peter hitting that thing with the hammer and Ned having to come over and say, well, these are these wires, blah, blah, is that the audience needed to know the information. And they did not find a good way to tell us. <laughs> Peter's obviously more intelligent on the molecular level. He made the web serum. It's more about molecular physics and chemistry. The macro stuff, eh, it eludes He's him. not that great at, like, electrical engineering. Yeah. So, I like, guess. Give me a hammer. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mary. Um, well, I, I really liked... I can't even tell you one thing I liked. I liked everything about it. But I think one of my favorite bits, just to say a bit, was when he's like out in the suburbs and he's running <laughs> through the backyards. And I love the little nod to um, Ferris Bueller. <laughs> yeah. I really, I, I really enjoyed that. Ooh, I like that they acknowledged it. Yeah. Yeah, like that it. was that was nice. And nothing irritated. I don't think it. Oh, I know what irritated me. I wish May would not wear those high-waisted jeans. Those are so awful. <laughs> wow, so not in style anymore. <laughs> Thanks for the mom jeans. You're not my mom! <laughs> okay, uh, Blanche. Um, Mr. Holland's performance, I was thoroughly entranced. I think he's great. He was great casting. I think he's done a great job. I think it's fun. I don't know... How, uh, maybe you guys know how much of his acrobatics was him. I, I've seen him on promotional stuff where he's doing all this acrobatics. He so did obviously that shit the before, kid. Man. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's cool to have an actual young, really young person who's very fit and like pliable and malleable to be able to train and do all this stuff on his own. I, I believe he's in the suit most of the time. I don't know if he is. But I I like that, and I like that he can actually do the tumbling and the leaping, and um, uh, and so I really enjoyed his performance, and I, I am looking forward to more. As you know, my one gripe is that unfortunately it was it was I I I felt the heavy hand of the 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 it felt part of the franchise right. and and less a standalone. I, I mm. wish it had a little bit more standalone. Uh, I did like that they like like John had mentioned um, that they answer the the way he gets a very cool suit is through Mr. Stark. I mean that's totally fine and I get that. Um, but I just wish, but but it is and 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 I think there is a good argument and you can't deny that this is also a chapter in Tony's life because there was character development on his part. It wasn't it, it wasn't that he was just appeared. He changed as a character in this, so it is a chapter in his life. Um, 
Yeah, I was very happy that they brought back. I mean, I'm ridiculously happy for such a tiny, you know, all on screen full of 90 seconds that they brought Gwyneth Paltrow back. I know. And it's like, and it's like uh, the whole the whole wedding ring thing. It's like, what? Well, you have that? Just, oh, I've been carrying this around since 2008. I'm like, okay, that was just, just. I mean, it's like, okay, we we are well in we are we are deep in the Marvel universe now. Spider-Man's but what it not did, just visiting. what it did do make me happy is knowing that that that. It was so much part of the Marvel realm is that, yes, it, it reinforced that, yes, this is Marvel's now. That, yes, Sony can't, you know what I mean? They can't mm-hmm. run away from it now. They can't say, oh, we changed our mind. Uh, we're taking this back. It's it's in it. It's in, you know, it's in the soup. Mm-hmm. You can't take it out. So I liked that. You're in it now. Up to your next. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, and I want to say something, though. I I don't care how fast you are, but if you're running across tops of roofs and j- jumping over chimneys and stuff, you're not going to outrace a car that's running on the parallel road. I'm sorry. Just not going to. I'm sorry. Ferris Bueller didn't. He didn't have any superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can't even say comic book there. Just have to say movie. <laughs> Ding. Uh, good point. 90s movie about – oh, no, 80s movie about – White privilege. Yes, exactly. We'll get into that in another show. Uh, Jeff? Uh, My fascinating thing is the fact that after 14 or however many films, we finally got an amazingly interesting villain. And my irritating thing is that it's taken Marvel 14 or however many films to make a really interesting villain. (laughs) Yes, I like that. Um, I'm just going to say that I like the fact that they cast uh, a, a kid that he was a teenager when they cast him for Civil War. That they're going to that they are taking advantage of that and going back to tell the story because it bugged the hell out of me that they that that the movies were throwing away um, uh, this huge canon of great stories because the the high school thing at the time was unique. That's what made Spider Man so unusual in 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 the superhero world and they never really plumbed that and never really took advantage of it i like the fact that they updated it that that uh, and 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 some of the changes were like okay uh that was fine that that instead of being a football player um flash is a uh you know he's a a academic the catholic i mean well no i like because they put it in a magnet school. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Peter Peter's so smart, he would be in one of those schools. Exactly. So they exactly. shifted it. It was great. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, my friend Laura said that the one thing she didn't like about the, the movie that threw off was like, uh, well, it's a it's a movie called Homecoming and there's no football game. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, maybe, you know, maybe, mag, maybe uh, academic magnet schools don't have those. And I go, well, actually – uh, you know, Flash was a football player in the original continuity. So, yeah, that's they they got rid they got rid of the football team for for the homecoming from the decathlon. Come on, there you yeah, go. The yeah, deca- yeah, yeah, they yeah. won the national academic decathlon. I had friends in high school who were in the academic decathlon. I did too. Stuff. I did too. Oh, by the way, Spider fans, have you heard what Andrew uh, what, what Mr. Holland really really wants to do next? No, oh. what, what he is pining for. Uh, he kind of wants to, he would love them to do a film adaptation of Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, yes. Yeah. I would and like that. He's, Craven. he's already started pushing. He said in more than one interview that he wants, he really wants Craven in the next film. 
Craven is a great role for some older actor, and uh, he's he's another human scale villain. Um, and it would oh. be it would be great because again, it's a villain that hasn't been used in the films previously. Not at all. Yeah. Oh, one last thing. It's just uh, there used to be uh, episodes. There used to be issues, and they were usually fill in issues, and they were usually. Like like the funny issues, yeah, yeah they were yeah. they were out of whatever the the current storyline of of Spider Man was, where Spider Man would end up in some some place in the suburbs where there was where there was nowhere to swing from, uh, huh. that and they 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 used that and they did quite a bit. He really isn't. They don't. They spent very little time with obviously CGI characters swinging uh, down Park Avenue. That well, just that's wasn't... Queens. I mean, he's in Queens. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the... Oh, and by the way, real fast, I also got to say, okay, having the Marvel logo play over the 66 Spider-Man theme made me so happy. Yeah. Oh. In that this, just in this started box... the film made me making me smile. Before the film even yeah. started, I was going, all right, you got me. Yeah, very Another Giacchino composition, he... Uh, we've talked about him before. Yes. He's he's he did Rogue One. He did this doing Star Trek. He's the new go-to guy apparently uh, of of composers. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, you know, remember how after all these times we've been having these things, I've been talking about Marvel's uh, ability to be self-aware mm-hmm. and you know and be able to make fun of themselves. That ending thing after the credits <laughs> was, so, was so self-aware. Exactly. Yeah, let's give, a, let's give a shout out to Chris Evans because he was pretty <laughs> damn funny. Yeah, He was. He's, he had like one of the most thankless cameos. He shows up doing the, uh, uh, you know, the whatever, you know, the, the Marvel Universe equivalent of the president's physical fitness but challenge. But that sets off the great line. I think he's a war criminal now. I can't. <laughs> I love how he is the running joke. I mean, remember in Thor where he shows up and, and Loki turns into him and he's like, oh, all that self-righteousness, all that, you know, and they, he is the running joke. He, I don't know, I just think it's and just he, And he gets the last level because, you know, patience is important, but it's not always rewarding. <laughs> Sometimes you wait and you wait. Kind of disappointing. Wonder why you sat there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's John. That that's a perfect example of Marvel's little meta winking. So, yep. Yeah. Okay. So generally positive uh, reactions. Uh, yep. Yeah. Needs generally, to be seen. Needs to be seen on the big screen. And if you have kids, take the kids. You can take the kids to see this. Exactly. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's even one bad language in it. No, infect them That's with ha- the half a bad language. Half yeah. a bad language. Half. Right. Could have been fudge. She could have been saying fudge. She could and you can tell the kids that she's saying fudge exactly. Yeah. So it's all good. She's a she's a uh, she's an Italian lady from Queens. Exactly. She cooks. Exactly. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much uh, for joining us. I believe our next uh, movie will be Valerian, possibly, or okay. maybe something else. Uh, boy, that was unhelpful. Anyway, uh, <laughs> our next I'm... movie will be something. Yeah. Okay. Go I was not. Baby Driver. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I yeah. hear great things about Baby Driver. Go see it. Okay. All right. Oh, well, yeah. It's worth all those good things. Okay. Okay. Good it, to know. It's, good to know. It's soundtrack, Shames, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. Both or just number two? Uh, certainly number two by a lot. I mean, number two is so bleh. That was disappointing, yeah. Yeah, it was really. That's not the greatest soundtrack. Volume that's two. Not, 
That's not an awesome mix at all. No, it's not an awesome That's mix. That's not no. even an acceptable mix. mix. Yeah. <laughs> Hardly. But oh, no, it's, it's yeah, no. Go yeah, from 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 uh oh, from Queen to Blur to oh, uh I, to M uh, young MC. I mean it's all over the place. It's it's I, awesome. I found fascinating how some of them actually fit what was going on on the screen. Well, that was the point. It's some yeah, are exactly. calling this a musical because the uh-huh. you gotta listen to I gotta see it again because not realizing that that the music is actually telling a lot of the story. Certainly at the beginning. At first I was like, when is this movie gonna start? <laughs> it has started. It, you gotta listen to the music, you gotta pay attention to what's being played and it's right. yeah. Well it's Edgar it's, Wright. Yeah. It's Edgar Wright unfettered, so there you exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So two two new movie crew recommendations. There you go. Spider-Man, awesome. Homecoming, and Baby Driver. All right. Thanks for joining us. We will be back again in two weeks. Uh, and uh, rather than tell you what it is, I'm just going to create suspense. Do, 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 do. Slumgullion. We still got some guests on the Slumgullion. We're not showing breasts on the Slumgullion. Should probably fade on the Slumgullion. Slumgullion.